Oh my goodness. Hi, how are you guys doing today? Good. Well, we have been studying 2 Timothy. For those of you who may be new here, one of the things that we've been doing here at Heights is we've been going through the Word of God in five years' period of time. And we've been doing this together. We read uh, portions of the Scripture together six days a week. And then we come together on Sundays and the message, whether myself, John, whoever is up here in the pulpit, shares from the passages that we studied together during the week. And so we are coming toward the end of this five-year study, which has us all over the New Testament. And this week, we are in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is really interesting because it is believed to be the last letter that Paul wrote before his execution at the hands of Rome. And um, so he's really got a lot of last thoughts that are here. And we're going to dive into that together on a sermon that's titled, Finishing the Race. I have been a runner for a lot of my life. I still run around here during youth group times. How many youth have been tagged by me in the last few weeks? Raise your hand. That's right. We, we do running games where, where people die uh, because death is a theme in our youth group. We're just going to let you know that right now. Your kids come to our youth group, they will die many, many times because that's what we do. We tag, you're dead. You're not just out, you're dead. Okay? So that's the way we do things in our youth group. And one of the things that, that I love doing, I've always loved, I've always been an active person, is I've loved running. And one of the things we did in our youth groups is we started doing, uh, we just started doing like these, these races or marathons. We would raise money for them, and I just loved running so much more. I can honestly say our youth group got me into running even more than I already loved running before. I started running here and started running six miles and see if I could do that in less than an hour, and then I started doing half marathons. Now you guys are going, I know I don't want two of you, okay? So... I started running half marathons, and I ran between the official ones and the unofficial ones, about 10 of them, before I just couldn't do that as much anymore. I still run, but not quite that much, Um, because it takes a lot of practice to be able to run 13.1 miles in one sitting. Some of you are going like, I'm never running 13.1 miles. How many of you are in that boat? Raise your hand. We have like 70% of our congregation raising their hand right now. 13.1 miles takes a while to do, okay? And one of the things that happens when you're in those races, and I have, I have these finisher medals that are, home, that are at home that I'm really, really proud of, of the ones that I've done of these official half marathons, right? The one that I did the fastest time on was back in 2014, where I ran a half marathon in under two hours, which I'm still proud of to this day. It's pretty awesome. And uh, you know why? Why I'm so proud of that? Because if, it, if there was a 13.1-mile course and you had half marathoners and marathoners, the fastest marathoner in the world couldn't have lapped me. That makes me happy. Okay? That makes me happy. <laughs> Could not have lapped me. All right, so... But when you're there, there, there are these designations. Because after the race is over, you run and you take a look at... Uh, all the times to find out where your times were because you register for it and they have a little chip. They're tracking you. It's almost like the beast. I don't know. Anyway, so um, 
So we're looking at the final results because I want to find out how well I do. Well, there's a, there's a designation on certain ones of them. May, if they don't finish in either the allotted time period that's allowed for the race or they don't show up and, and they're not in the race at all, it's DNF. It means did not finish. Fortunately... I think I've only did not finish once that I've registered, and that's because my wife was in another country, and I kind of had to be around my kids or whatever. So <laughs> during that time, and so I, I, I didn't, I didn't go and do that one. Be my only did not finish every race that I started. I was privileged to be able to finish, but some people can't. They get injured along the way because thirteen and point one miles. A, a lot of things can happen to your body in that period of time. It gets tired, you didn't stretch right, you pull a muscle, you can't, you can't finish that race that you would hope to finish. We're looking at Paul at the end of his life. And one of the things that stood out to me in 2 Timothy from all the other letters that Paul writes are the amount of names that are peppered throughout this epistle. As a matter of fact, there's not a chapter within this small four-chapter letter in which there aren't some names mentioned, which is very unusual. We don't see that in any of the other letters that I'm aware of. Of course, I haven't gone through and just named everything. But these are specific names, people that he knew that were, like himself, running the race of faith. And there are only two categories, just like in a race, like my marathon race. There are only two categories. Either you get a time at the end because you finished the race or you did not finish. There's no in between. It's one or the other. And in this letter that Paul has written to Timothy here at the end of his life, where names are so important because they represent people, he covers both categories. And we're going to take a look at those categories today. These are people that he walked and ran this race with. Many finished, but some didn't. And they cause a bit of pain and regret as Paul looks back on people that I know he wished would have remained faithful until the end. But they didn't finish the race. And as far as we know concerning the scriptures, they, they never did. What three things, what three categories of people fall into this category of did not finish in Paul's letter? Let's take a look at that together. The first one is a category of desertion. They were walking the faith of Jesus Christ and they deserted. He uses that term for three people in this letter. For Phygelus and Hermogenes and for Demas. We can look in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17... Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And among them are homogenous. Oh, excuse me. Am I right? 
Nope, that's the wrong one. Sorry. Second Timothy. Is that the right one? No, those are not the, that's not the right one. I wrote down the wrong reference. Oh my goodness. That's so terrible. All right, so uh, it's actually 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Philegus and Hermogenes. Okay? So we talked about the people in Asia, but he pulls these two people out that talk about desertion right there. Okay? Like I said, there's a lot of names here, so somehow I wrote down the wrong reference. But this is desertion. He goes on in uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, and he says, For Demas, because he has loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And so we see this word desertion used in both. In Demas, he gives a little bit more description. He says, having loved this world. In other words, he wanted the world more than he wanted Jesus. As a matter of fact, we, we kind of get somebody like that in, in Jesus' ministry. When we look at the parable of the seeds in Matthew chapter 13, we look in verse 22, we get that third seed. The first seed falls on the rocky ground and Satan comes and, and takes it away, right, on the path. The second one's on stony, kind of a stony ground where the shallow soil is and the root and the word takes place and the root starts to grow but it has no root because it's only in the shallow soil. So when persecution comes, that, that weed is, is burned up. But the third one, found in verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. This is a love for the world that's around us, Right? The worries of this life. I'm more concerned about life here than I am the one we have to look forward to with Jesus. And so the word is choked out. And whatever has happened before with these three people, they have walked away from ministry and walked away from their faith as a whole. Desertion is painful. I know people in our congregation, I know people in our youth group who have done more as far as walking with Jesus and then they turn. And it's not just that they walk away, they totally desert anything about Christ. I can think of people who were faithful in this place, instrumental in bringing others in this place who are still faithful to Jesus to this day, who are no longer walking with Jesus. I think people that we have supported in one way or another who have turned their back on Jesus and no longer profess him as a believer, profess him as Lord and Savior or profess themselves as a believer in Christ. It is painful to think about those people. And I will tell you that if you're a believer in Christ and you stay a believer in Christ, you're going to see that. 
As much as I would love to say, everybody you come to, you're going to disciple well, and they're going to stick with it, and you're going to see such great things. Guess what? There are some that will desert. They will not finish the race, and it's heartbreaking. And Paul is looking back, and he's heartbroken over these people because they've deserted him. They've turned away from the faith that's been proclaimed and rather want the world instead. That's one way to not finish the race. It's just a desert. It's interesting. We're living in a time right now where atheism is on the rise. Even among those of self-professed Christian families. That their children are more and more professing atheism. They're not finishing the race. And if you're a parent... Of one of those children who have, may look like that they have started strong and now they're not starting strong. It burdens you, doesn't it? It's a source of pain every single time that we come together. Because when your family comes together, you know somebody is not in the right place that they need to be. Because they haven't finished a race that you wanted them to start. A race that maybe they look like they were starting so well. Desertion is one of the ways we do not finish. Second way is false doctrine. False doctrine is another way that we don't finish. We, we exchange Jesus for another gospel, which isn't a gospel at all, as we would read in Galatians, right? Galatians starts out in verses chapter 1 verses 6 through 9 he says you know whether it's us or somebody else if they proclaim a different gospel than the one we've proclaimed to you let them be accursed eternally condemned because there is no other gospel another way not to finish the race is to become enamored with another gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ and we find this with Hymenaeus and Philetus this is where we go to chapter 2 Chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. And among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. And they say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. There's a couple of things we should note right here. What has led them to go away from the truth is godless chatter. And Paul's admonition is to avoid this godless chatter. This this chatter that speaks on things that are not biblical, that are not right, that are not revealed through the word of God. That it's just talk. It's basically spiritual gossip. I'm going to tell you what I think about Jesus. Can I tell you where spiritual gossip is found today? It's online. Every social media app you've got out there is spiritual gossip. Filtering through that, we're supposed to be looking first and foremost to the word of God. But you know what happens? Is people get enamored with followers. And then they start following these people. And they stop following the word of God. And next thing you know, they're mimicking 
The very talking points that these people are, that they started talking to online had, and they're no longer sharing the truth. And they take other people with them. That's exactly what's happening right here. Godless chatter has taken these two away, and now they're saying something totally untrue about the resurrection. That the resurrection has already come, and it's destroying the faith of people. It's not just that they're not finishing, they're causing others not to finish. And how does that work out? Well, if the resurrection has already come, and I'm still here, then either I missed it, or it doesn't matter. And either one of those two options leads you into a hedonistic lifestyle that I can live however I want. Because the resurrection's already come. And because it's already come, I can live how I want because it obviously didn't affect me, right? I was, gonna, I was told that at the resurrection, all these great things are going to take place. It didn't take place. Or it took place and I missed it. Well, I might as well live the way I want to then. You guys see how that would destroy somebody's faith? And those who weren't comparing that with the right teaching that had been passed down to them through the Holy Spirit, through the words of Paul, through the scriptures that they had, which by this time at the end of Paul's life is probably all of them with maybe 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John not included in Revelation. They had access to all of these other letters that would tell them the exact opposite. And it destroys the faith of the Son. False doctrine destroys the faith of other people. Not knowing the right idea of who Jesus is or why he died for us doesn't give you a slightly off version of Jesus. It's a different gospel, another Jesus. It's why those who are Jehovah's Witnesses, those who are Mormons, who have changed the doctrine of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, are not brothers and sisters in Christ slightly confused. They are people who are in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ because the Jesus they believe in isn't real, doesn't exist, is a different gospel. And it destroys the faith of some. So false doctrine is another reason why we do that. As a matter of fact, he goes into a little bit more description of what this godlessness looks like, this this chatter, where does it lead to? In chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, where he says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them 
They're like they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith are concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will become clear to everyone. You know, it's so funny when we start talking about places like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. If you're reading the Bible, members of our congregation who have come from a Mormon background have told me, you know what, how I got out of Mormonism? I started reading the Bible and I was just like, this didn't line up. This doesn't seem to line up with that. This, this, this isn't what that says. why it says it won't get very far because their error become very obvious over time if you've ever had jehovah's witnesses if you've ever had mormons over knocking on the door some of you guys are like i knock on the door and i'm not home (laughs) no i like opening those doors they don't show up very often after i open those doors and i start talking to them because i know what they believe and i also know what i believe and I know where our differences are. But when they come in, they start talking to you. Do they, they start harping on the things that would make you say, oh, that's way different. Jesus is really only Michael the archangel if you're Jehovah's Witness. Come down to earth, have an earthly ministry as Jesus Christ. When we came back, went back to heaven, he didn't die on the cross and have a physical resurrection. Rather, he was raised spiritually and was back to Michael the archangel. They don't lead with that, do they? Then if you had them over to the house, they never lead with that. Mormons never lead with the things that they really believe, right? They, they give you a book and they say, you need to pray. You need to pray and feel that burning in your bosom. You think I'm lying? That's literally what they say. That's literally what they say. And for those of you who would laugh at that, we have a whole culture right now who determines truth by their feelings. That's not any different. That didn't feel right to me. Well, what's the difference between that and the burning in your bosom? Nothing. The Mormons are just more honest about it. So let's be very careful about laughing at them too much. We're easily deceived in that same area. That just didn't feel right to me. Well, you know what? I kind of really care about your feelings. I feel like Brenda Shapiro up here. Facts don't care about your feelings, right? Doesn't really care about your feelings. God wants you to compare all things to the word of God. And false doctrine takes you away from God. Into this godless chatter where over time it becomes very evident that what you believe isn't in line with the truth. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who just simply read the word of God can't come to the conclusions that their religion, their following, their cultish following goes to. Even though they say they respect the Bible. So it's another way that we can not finish the race. False doctrine brought on by godless chatter. The third way is just a pure hatred for the gospel. We see that in a couple of places. We read one of them just a minute ago with Janus and Jambres who are opposing Moses. But the other one's Alexander the metalworker. 
Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 4, it says this. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. There are many commentators who believe that it's possible that Alexander, the metal worker, is the reason for which Paul is actually in prison right now under this sentence. No, no 100% proof, but there's speculation that there's a reason for that. You watch out for this guy. He's the reason why I'm here. He opposed our message so strongly. You be careful. He's out to get you. And others who are like you. Janice and Jambres, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, which, what, which we read just a moment ago. Where it says, just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. See, it's not just enough for them not to believe. They have to punish those who do. They have to stand in opposition. There's a difference between the atheist who is just indifferent to what you believe. Okay, you believe what you believe. I don't believe that that's true. I don't believe, I believe in, you know, they might say I believe in science or I believe in, you know, evolution or I believe in anything. You know, but you go ahead and believe what you want to believe. There are some who fall into that category and then there are some atheists who just want to punish you and mock you and make things hard on you because you say that that's what you believe. It's not just enough for them not to believe. It's that you can't believe, and they can't believe, and those people can't believe, and I'm going to shut you up. And they destroy the faith of people. It's another way not to finish, is just to have a hatred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are some that do. And so these are all the do not finish people. And all of us are like, I don't want to be that person, right? I'm hoping you're hearing like, I don't want to be that person. So let's look at some good examples. Because in the middle of all this, he talks about people who finished well as well. And I think it's very important that we, we acknowledge that. Because again, 2 Timothy is about people more than it is anything else. Ultimately about Timothy and Timothy running his race... But it's about people and people who have run their race, both well and not well. So these are your finishers. And the first ones we see are right there at the very beginning of this letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. I've been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. I love the fact that he mentions his grandmother and his mother. How many grandparents are in here? Raise your hand. You guys are important for the gospel of Jesus Christ in your families. You guys are important for the gospel of Jesus Christ in your families. All of you grandparents, whether you're a grandfather or grandmother, here we have Lois who is mentioned right here as a faithful saint that Paul says, I know that she was a believer. Grandparents, sometimes you wonder if you have enough impact. Paul would say, absolutely you do. Finish well. Be known as that grandmother. You know, I don't know much about my grandma, but I'll tell you something. I don't know much about my grandpa, but I'll tell you something. They're a believer in Jesus. Man, what a great testimony. 
And Paul takes the time in this letter to write it out. Those are some of the people right there that he knows finishes well. So grandparents, you have an important impact on your grandchildren. Second one he mentions is his mom. And your mother Eunice. Also, this same faith. So, I want to point out a couple things. First of all, parents, you're important. Number one, you're primary when it comes to your passing down your faith to your kids. We can look at passages in Deuteronomy, Psalm chapter 78, Ephesians chapter 6. You guys are so important. But one thing I want to point out here is that Eunice is mentioned alone. There's no dad and there's no grandfather that's mentioned here. Eunice is mentioned alone. This faith that was first found in your grandmother Lois, now in your mother Eunice, I am convinced, lives in you as well. There are a lot of ladies today, right now, who are either the spiritual head of their family or they're the head of their family because of divorce. And the question comes down to, can I have an impact on my kids? For Jesus Christ. In a significant way. And the answer is yes. You absolutely can. Because here's Timothy. Who at very minimum. Has a mom. Who's the spiritual head of this family. And this faith that is found in his grandmother and in his mother is in him, not by any small accident. And so single moms who are out there, spiritually single moms who are out there, spiritually single dads who are out there, single dads who are out there who are being faithful to Jesus Christ, God can use you in mighty ways for your children for Jesus. Please know that and help them finish that race well. Don't give up on that. Other people he mentions is Onesiphorus. It's a great name. Somebody needs to name their child Onesiphorus. You're laughing. Somebody's going to do it. It's going to be awesome. You can talk with her. I'm not against it. So go Oni for short, right? Anyway, so... um, Onesiphorus, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Here's a, a man who was a runaway slave. Who sought out Paul. Who not only sought out Paul. But when he came to know Jesus Christ. He ministered in such a way that he was a blessing. Somebody you can look to. We need good examples. Right? We need somebody to point to and say that person. Right there. Seeking God. That's how you need to be seeking God. We need good examples. We want to be those good examples too. But we need them around us. 
Paul goes on to list a group of people in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just going to go through them quickly because here at the end of his life, these are the people that are walking with him in ministry, still doing the things that God wants them to do, whether with him or away from him. So if we go back to chapter 4 and verse 10, the second half of that verse talks about uh, Crescens. That's not like a role. That's his name, sorry. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demaltia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus in Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Skipping down to verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trumphus sick in Meltius. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so does Perdens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. So here's a good thing. He's got a huge bit of people who are encouragements to him here at the end of his life. Some who are going back out on mission again to different places. And some who are there with him, such as Luke, and some who are coming to him, like Mark and Timothy. Man, we need those encouragements, don't we? Third Timothy and verse, uh, third Timothy, it's not a third Timothy. Do you guys catch that, right? Right? Third John in verse 4 has become one of my verses that I have loved. Where it basically says, I get no greater joy than know that my children are walking in the truth. Being around people who are faithful, coming here every Sunday morning. Guys, when we meet on Sunday morning, it's a time for us to be encouraged one to another. Because you know what? Outside of this place, we're not necessarily going to get this encouragement. But man, if you know you're walking with somebody else during the week and they're living for the truth and you're living for the truth, all of a sudden I don't feel so lonely anymore. And here at the end of his life, Paul is not by himself and that's important. And he hears about how others are still doing things for Jesus in different places and that's important. Paul and Haiti just left. I've already heard from them. Isn't that cool? I think it's cool they're still walking with Jesus. Aren't you guys encouraged by that? I'm encouraged by that. Christian and Tessa have left. Been gone for six months now. It's hard to believe they've been gone that long, but it's true. They're still walking with Jesus. They're involved in a church. That's an encouragement to me, even though they're not here. You know why? Because we're not walking this alone. All of these people who have gone from before us and still walking with Jesus is an encouragement to us, even if they're not here. How many of you have heard from some of the people who have gone away in the last six months or so? Because there's been quite a few. How many of you have heard from people? Have you been encouraging them? Staying in a church? Have they been telling you how God has been working in their lives and helping them get established in a body of believers and making an effect on other Man, that's encouraging. We need encouraging people. We need the list of the faithful so that we can finish well. And then finally, Paul himself. Chapter 1, verse 13. What you've heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with 
faith and love in Christ Jesus. Skipping down to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So he's saying, don't just, don't just listen to these great examples and be encouraged by them. Be encouraged by me. Because guess what? This is written to Timothy. Because what does Paul want? Paul wants Timothy to finish well. I'm about to depart. I want to make sure you make it to the end. I don't want to see a DNF on your line. I want you to walk well. I've walked with you this far. He's probably walked with Timothy about 17 years now. As he's getting ready to go and be with the Lord. You guys realize, as as ironic as it is, it's weird to think of it this way. I've actually served in this church longer than Paul and Timothy served together at the writing of this letter. Think about that for just a moment. That's crazy to think about in that period of time. And yet I've seen a lot of these same things. A lot of them did not finish. And so what... Can we do? Because I believe that as believers in Christ, we want to finish well. I don't think any of us wants to hit the end and say, like, I believed in Jesus, I just threw it all away. I don't think any of us want to be there. I don't want I don't think any of us want to want to hear Jesus say, you know what? You did all these things in my name, but I never knew you. I, I don't think that that's our heart for those who are here who have been walking this for a while. And we've been pained by the same things as we've seen people kind of falling away. It's like, it's not just them. I want to make sure I'm not doing that, right? I want to make sure I'm good till the end. Flawed as I am. How do I get past that? What things are there for me? Well, I believe that there are four things that he focuses on. And I could just say, read Second Timothy. We did, which is good, right? It's past week. Four things I think he focuses on. And much like the did not finish and the finish well, there are two things that he says to avoid and two things that he says that should be a part of our lives. Pretty clearly in the process of the scriptures here. First one is this. Avoid godless chatter. Remember that spiritual gossip we just talked about? He doesn't want that to be a part of your life. He didn't want it to be a part of Timothy's life. So verse 16, just to remind you of what it says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And in verse 23 and 24, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So two things, right? This point number one, avoid godless chatter and stupid arguments. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you have boyfriends or girlfriends? And those of you who are married, keep raising your hand. Because that better be your boyfriend or girlfriend right there too. How many of you have had stupid arguments? How many of you have argued over stupid things and you've gotten into heated arguments? Heated arguments over something dumb. That when you look back, you're like, that's stupid. 
I actually argue. I've argued over tone of voice. Not content of what they said, how they said it. Because I didn't like it at that moment. And we're not talking something so obvious. I'm talking about something that's subtle. Okay? Because we know when somebody's trying to be mean and, and nasty on the phone. We know how to push each other's buttons. But man, I can overanalyze things. How many of you have done that? You've overanalyzed an argument and you've made an argument where there was none there before. Everything's fine. You made the argument. Guilty as charged. Man, stupid. Guys, it's stupid arguments. A little bit more personal here. How many of you have known somebody to leave the church for a stupid reason? How many of you have argued over your church for a stupid reason? The reason we exist is to share Jesus Christ to the world around you. It's the most important thing. Number one thing is in this place, people are going to hear about Jesus. Everything else, everything else, I don't care what it is, pales in comparison. I don't like that song. That music style is not for me. I don't like the carpets. Somebody moved my favorite table. Let me tell you something. I've been here 21 years, and as awesome as our church is, we've gotten into these stupid arguments. Where it's actually prevented people from inviting somebody here because of something not as important as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we've allowed stupid arguments to affect the idea that they're not going to hear truth in this place. Because I'm mad at somebody over there. Because they didn't play my favorite song. I don't care what songs the praise team plays. As long as they glorify Jesus Christ. Period. Seriously. And I like all types of music. And I'm not against suggestions. So don't think I'm just dissing anybody saying there's a suggestion here. But in the end, that doesn't matter as much as long as it's a faithfulness to Jesus Christ and his word. Let's not make it about anything else. If you know that the preaching here is going to be about Jesus Christ and his word, people are going to know about Jesus, that trumps everything else. Everything. That's right, she's been preaching this whole time. I love it. Everything else pales in comparison. Don't get stuck on stupid arguments. Take a step back and ask yourself, am I really not going to invite somebody here because of blank? Fill it in. And if it's anything less than than that we're not faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a stupid argument. And you and I need to be refocused on what's important. So we don't lose focus because that's what Satan wants us to do. So avoid godless chatter and stupid arguments. Number two, avoid ungodly lifestyles. Seems like it would be an obvious thing, right? And yet, Paul tells Timothy, who he's ministered with for 17 years, this very thing. He didn't put him above it. He's like, oh, tell everybody else this. Because I know you're above it, Timothy. Nope. You know why? Because you and I still 
creatures who have to fight the flesh, don't we? If we're honest, we fight the flesh a lot more than we want to admit when we're at work, when we're at church, right? I want to be the saint I portray on Sunday morning, right? Avoid ungodly lifestyles. Chapter 2, verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out the Lord on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee the evil desires of youth. You are not above this, Timothy. Guess what? That means all of you are not above it either. And I'm not either. Flee those things. You know why? Because I know they tempt you. You know why? They tempt me. Flee them. Get away from them. Because you start walking in them, we start going down other roads that are not good. We already read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But also chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, where it says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We can be so bad, our heart can be so wicked, that we want what we want so badly, we'll make every justification that we can do it. And Paul says, avoid it. Not only that, that we'll get to a point where we don't even want to hear what God's word says because we know it contradicts how we're living. So number two is avoid ungodly lifestyles. Number three, getting to the good stuff. How do we finish well? Listen to right voices. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, it says this. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to to please his commanding officer. He goes on with a few others. I want to focus on this one real quick. This is something I would always tell my kids growing up. I know I've shared it here from the pulpit. You need to listen to the right voices. Ultimately, that's God through Jesus Christ and his word, Right? But it also goes to spiritual authorities. All of these good examples that he's mentioned there are people that Timothy can go to for further encouragement in walking in the word. To walk out their truth in Jesus Christ. You know who we don't go to? Those who are not good examples. I always find it ironic that teenagers go to their teenage friends to talk about relationships. You talk about the blind leading the blind and the dumb leading the dumb. No offense. It's just the truth. You guys don't know nothing. Zero. Less than zero. You may think that that's cruel to say. But none of you guys have been married. None of you guys know the self-sacrifice that goes into a relationship. I dated somebody for two months. I've done that five times. It makes me an expert on relationships. No, it doesn't. Makes you somebody who's trying to figure out what they're doing. That's what it makes you figure. You know who you need to be talking to? Young person who's never dated before. Somebody who's been married 10 years or more. 
but I'm not comfortable talking with them. Well, you want a marriage to last, you need to be talking to those people who have marriages that last. Right? we got to listen to the right voices. And that goes the same with those of you who are new to the faith in Jesus Christ. You know who you need to be talking to? Those who are spiritually mature. Not those who came in with you and have their own opinion on the word of God. They need somebody who can lead them. We have amazing saints that are in this place who know the word of God even better than I do. This would include your life group leaders. This would include some of the teachers that are there. Some of the people who are older that maybe I don't feel comfortable getting around them. But you want to learn how to live and make it last? Learn those right voices. Listen to what they say. Don't listen to your friends who are only three years in the faith like you and their marriage is on the rocks. You're going to get advice from them? No offense. That's not the place you go. You know, somebody who's been married 25 years and been walking out their faith and their family. You know why? They'll be able to help you. I'm going to go online and talk to this person. That's what we do. I'm going to go watch this video of this person I don't even know what their home life is like. So they can tell me how to live my life and they'll make it sound really good. Dude, you need somebody who has a relationship with you. Ultimately, we want to please God. We've got to listen to the right voices. And finally this. I find it ironic that he doesn't stop with just know the word of God and read the word of God. That, that's part of it. But it's read, preach, and teach the word. He could have stopped in just the first part, right? Like, just read, be in the word all the time, and that will help you. Nope. It's not just enough to read the word. It's read and put it in an active part of your life. And so, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And we read the other verses. Skipping down to verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, it wasn't just a matter of holding serve. Paul said to Timothy, in order for him to keep the faith, to continue on, it wasn't just a matter of read the word so you know it yourself. Take all these notes and it's awesome. No, you're supposed to teach the word. We're called to make disciples. We should be going out and training others in this righteousness. It keeps us sharp. Church is weak because so few are doing it. And here at the end, he's saying, I've seen too many fall away. 
Too many because they love this world. Too many because they want to live a different lifestyle. They want to preach a different gospel. You need to be in the word. You need to distill the word. You need to give that out to other faithful people who can then also teach the word. This is part of us being faithful to the end. You know what Paul's doing? Last letter of his his life. He's asking for more parchment. I guess there's probably more instruction he's going to write other people. What's he doing? Teaching to the very end. He's not saying something he's not living. And the same things that kept him faithful, that kept Timothy faithful, will keep you and I faithful. Because in the end, I want to finish my race well. I want to finish it well. Nothing else really matters in the end. Paul looks at the end and he's looking at people. People who are no longer walking that race and people who are. But it takes an investment of life for us to see others walk that race well. We've got some work to do, church, and I'm really excited because you guys are ready for it. But are we doing it? Because part of us doing it is how we'll stay faithful to the end. Would you stand with me? Close your eyes for just a moment. I want you guys thinking about people that you know. Take a moment to think of those who are not finishing that race well. Because all of us know people who have stepped away from faith. Take some time to pray for them this week. That they might return to the Lord. Think about those around you who are finishing the race well. The people you need to be surrounding yourself with. To be encouraged. To be instructed by. To be mentored by. And finally, those people that God's calling you to reach out to. Not the ones that are not finishing the race, but those yet to start it. How can you be that same encouragement to others? Making sure that we're listening to him and him alone. He wants to use you. He wants the faithful grandparents, the faithful parents, the faithful friends, the people who won't compromise in the end are known because of their example not in spite of it Lord Jesus help us be those people that every other voice pales in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that we have to share help us to share joyously and boldly and uncompromisingly Lord that we may walk in such a way where we hear these words in the end from you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.